Welcome back to your next stop. This is Juliette Hahn. This episode is going to be a little different. I want to kick off Dyslexia Awareness Month. And as you guys know, if you've been a longtime listener of your next stop or any of my other podcasts, dyslexia is very close to my heart. Not only do I have dyslexia, I have a son, my father, my sister, many nieces and nephews, and a lot of people that I've interviewed on the podcast as well. And then I have started a new podcast called Word Blindness Dyslexia Exposed that my co-host Brent Sopel and I, we get into our stories and a lot of different things of how to navigate the world of dyslexia from teachers to neuropsychs to um, getting lawyers if you have to you know, fight to get into a different school, so many different things. And then we also interview other people that have dyslexia and, um, and their journey. So it again, and it's something that lights me up. It's something that inspires me, but it also is something that sometimes hurts my heart. And so I want to remind you for Dyslexic Awareness Month um, about my story. My first memories are really when it was either second, third, fourth grade kind of gets all garbled there. But I came from a town that was a, a, a very affluent town. Most families were intact, meaning they had, you know, both parents, there was kids. Most kids were in my eyes, good in school, good in sports. And so when you struggled, it, it was, it was apparent, right? Cause you had to get pulled out and go to a different classroom or something like that. And there was not a lot of it happening because of the, the kind of the makeup of the school and then the place where I grew up. So when Second, third, fourth grade, as I said, around that time, um, there, the class was split into two. And basically the majority of the class, all my friends, I was a really happy kid. So let me just preface that. I was a really happy kid, um, silly, really lighthearted, uh, lots of energy. And this is early school. So it really hadn't kicked me in the pants as much as it has. And as I will get you through, you know, my story, how much it has, but it's still at this point, I was pretty, you know, kind of happy go lucky. So all my friends were going somewhere else and I was going somewhere else with the troublemaker in the class who was also, you know, I was friendly with, I didn't hang out with, but it was someone in class that, you know, we were put together a lot. He made me laugh, but he was also kind of the naughty kid that got in more trouble. I would be told to stop, you know, talking and fooling around and all those kind of things. But um, he was a good kid, but he used to do something where he used to flip his eyelids. So he literally would flip his eyelids and he had really chocolate skin. So when he flipped his eyelids, they were bright, bright red. They looked like fire. And most times people would squeal. Usually the girls would squeal. I would laugh. I thought it was the coolest thing. I wanted to try to do it. And I probably tried to do it a million times and never, <laughs> never got the reaction that he would get. But so when the whole class was told they were going somewhere else. I had all my friends run up. Where are you going? And I was like, I don't know. And they're like, okay, well, we'll see you later. And I was taken with this, with this teacher. Uh, she was actually a doctor. Now I know she was a reading specialist and I was taken to a classroom with this uh, young man. And we were told that we were going to be reading the blue dolphin. I think it's actually called the Island of the Blue Dolphin, but I really despise the book. So I'm, that's why I'm thinking it's more third, fourth grade. Um, but reading was hard for me. It was not something that came easy. So I did not like that I was doing this and everyone else seemed really happy. And, you know, the teacher was kind of telling them how much fun they were going to have. And I overheard it. And I can remember very vividly the hallway that we had to go down. And then we had to go into this like dark, dingy room. And I know that sounds kind of creepy, but I don't remember a lot of windows. I don't think there was any windows. And as we sat down, she said, okay, we're going to be meeting here every week. And we're going to be reading the Island of the Blue Dolphin. Now she didn't say it in that voice. 
which would have been nicer, but she was the slowest talker, the slowest walker. She had the most interesting body shaped. And I'm going to take you through this because just think about a kid that's struggling, that doesn't love where they're going. And then there's a slow talker. And I still actually slow talking, no offense, but it, it is something that tweaks me to this day. It, it makes me like anxious. She basically had a very pear shaped body. And when she walked, it kind of swayed and she had very saggy boobs that kind of flopped. And then she had this big head of hair. And then this was in the eighties. So she had this big head of like football curls, really tight. And she was a slow talker. So I, I didn't love all of it. Like the walking slow. I was never slow. I like, I walked fast. I did everything fast. So it tweaked me to, um, you know, a little bit beyond where I was. And so I wasn't comfortable. Sit down myself and the other um, student and he starts flipping his eyelids as she's reading and I'm giggling. I'm laughing. I'm trying to do it. We're getting hollered at like, you know, focus. This is the problem. If you too would focus, you wouldn't be struggling so much. Now, we talk about this in my word blindness podcast. Sometimes teachers, parents, adults try to say things to encourage children and their encouragement is actually more of a stab in the heart try to focus, work harder. You wouldn't be in here if you didn't fool around. Those kind of things are not helpful. <laughs> and now that I'm an adult, I see that. As a kid, it just kind of made you shrink a little bit. And as I said, I was a confident, happy kid. I was a kid. I was actually the fastest in the entire class. I was faster than even all the boys. And um, and so I really excelled. Then it was at recess. Later, it was on the athletic field. But so I had my strengths. And it was something in our family that was talked about. As I said, my sister struggled and so did my dad. But we didn't really know. There was no diagnosis back then. You know, It was like, okay, they have a reading disorder or they just are slow to, to, to start. You know, these different terms that were, were kind of said. So that is my earliest memories. But the thing that's really interesting is when I went back to the classroom all my friends came running up and they're like, Oh my God, we get to leave school. We're going to be doing this maze. We're doing like night and shining armors. We get to create and do all this art stuff. And I told myself that day I wasn't creative. I never told myself that I was dumb and that I couldn't read, even though as I kind of grew in my educational world, I did think many times that I was not smart and, um, and it didn't feel great. It, it, it's one of those things that I, as I said, I'm very confident, but there were certain situations that I would shrink because I didn't know what was going on. And now I know it's my dyslexia and my ADHD, but back then I didn't know. Um, and so it was, you know, it, it's kind of one of those, those traumas that we talk about that everyone has their traumas. When you have uh, learning disabilities, whatever it is, and you don't have the support in school, it's hard. I had the support at home. I had really, my parents were super supportive. My mom was my biggest cheerleader, my biggest advocate. So, and she was in the education world. She actually was a teacher in our district. So that was really, really helpful. But I remember going home and I don't know if I had said this when I was younger or it was around the same time, but my mom said there was a day that I came home and, you know, after that, this situation, I, I said to her, like, what, you know, why can't I go and do this? They get to miss school. And my mom said something that protected me. She basically was like, um, don't worry. You couldn't do it because we were going to be away. And it just, I didn't want to, we, we, it was going to mess up their schedule. So I just, I said, you couldn't do it. And I skipped off and I was fine. There was another time that I remember um, that I actually don't remember, but my mom really remembers. And if, you, if you're if you a parent and you have a child struggling or if you have a child with learning disabilities, um, you're going to feel this because this like stabs me in the heart. But one day I came home 
Um, and my mom said, I usually, you know, would be so excited to get into the house, get my play clothes on. Back in those days, we had to change from our school clothes to play clothes and go out and play with my friends. That was like what I did. I was like, again, so active. School was really hard. Sitting still was not my thing. So I couldn't wait to go, you know, climb trees, run and play in the neighborhood. And that's, I had a really great group of friends and my sisters and um, my brother was younger, but you know, we, we all kind of did things like this. And my mom said one day, you know, uh, she came home, uh, I came home and I was sitting on the stairs and I seemed a little down and she said, you know, what's wrong? And I said to her, I'm really glad God made me just stupid on the inside and not the outside. And, um, that hurts my heart beyond because it clearly school had gotten to me then. So I don't know exact age range, but I had already felt dumb and I knew when my mom knew what that meant. And, um, you know, that's something that, that still makes me like throw up in my mouth a little bit because I was, again, a happy, confident kid. I talk about in my podcasts, this innate confidence. I was definitely born with an innate confidence. I had a lot, not ego, not cockiness, but a lot of confidence because I had a lot of strengths. I had a lot of weaknesses, but I also had a lot of strengths. So I'm, and you guys have probably heard this story many times, but I'm going to take you through some of the pivotal points of my story. And again, this is for Dyslexic Awareness Month. Um, there's so many times that I thank my dyslexia. There's other times that it's frustrating. Um, but there's other times that it's really cool to see where and my grit from failing constantly, where it has taken me into my life, um, especially now. So one of the things, um, as I continue to grow in school, I continue to get, you know, teachers being like, what's wrong with you? You have to sit in the front, stop fooling around. I usually would try to find someone in class that I would be able to ask, like, what are we doing? Because there's so many times I'd be sitting in class and the teacher would be saying something and the kids would be taking their notebooks out or, you know, their workbooks out. And I would be like, oh my gosh, I totally, I'm listening, but I clearly didn't hear what she said or he said, I don't know what I'm supposed to be doing. So I would always ask my neighbor <laughs> and then I would get, stop talking. Why are you talking? Focus. You're supposed to be doing this. See, if you weren't talking, you would know what the instructions were, but it wasn't that. It was that I was missing the instructions because I wasn't processing the instructions. And the more that happens, the more you miss and the more you don't learn. So um, middle school, high school, again, I, I was very athletic. And the town that I grew up in, we used to win state champions in field hockey and lacrosse. Those are the sports that I played. And so we were like a powerhouse and I was one of the top on the, on the teams. So there I got a lot of praise, you know, a lot of praise. People knew me as the athlete, but they also knew me as the dumb jock, right? They knew me as a dumb jock that always needed help, was always failing tests, um, was always, you know, doing something to try to get out of things. And um, it was my kind of narrative, but I also was under the radar because not everyone knew because I was able to kind of get out of things. One of the things that I've learned now in my life is that I really, really strengthened my interpersonal communication skills because of my dyslexia and my, my struggling and meaning I was able to read people really well. So I was able to figure out the teachers that I was able to get what I needed from. I knew the teachers that I needed to stay away from. I knew the kids in my class, friends, not friends that I could lean on for help. So I became an, an, 
again, I'm super intuitive and super empathetic. So all of those things come with dyslexia and attention deficit. And a lot of people don't know that. Um, but you are, we have like an e- extra empathetic chip and we also have an extra intuitive chip. Now, not everyone, this is a generalization, but for the most part, if you take like a kind of a cross section of people with dyslexia and attention deficit, and take the percentages, it is higher than if you take a percentage of, you know, someone that does not have uh, these learning disorders. So I was able to really kind of hone in and, and sharpen those skills, which took me far because I was able to read people. I was able to be like, okay, I can ask that person a question here. I can learn about this. I also could hear everything. So like if a teacher was talking in the hall, I would be able to hear what they were talking about, even if something was happening here. Now, maybe I wasn't listening to the teacher so much here, but I could hear a ton of different conversations. A lot of times I couldn't tune those conversations out. So I could hear people tapping their pens. I could hear other things, which you know, kind of heightened me not being able to focus on what the teacher is saying, coupled with having dyslexia, you kind of, you know, it, it, it's, it's basically a shitstorm. And um, if you don't have the support, that's when kids fall through. So that's why it's so important to get that neuropsych. And again, I'm not going to get into that because I didn't have the neuropsych back then. It wasn't something that you did. I had the school that tested me, you have a reading disorder, you know, um, visual something else and and you just went from there. You got a little extra help. Nowadays, it's really important to do that. But so some of my other memories, and if you've been following the podcast, you have heard this. When I was about a freshman, I had an English teacher that was really just a nasty woman. And I needed, if I had to be read out loud, I mean, I still to this day, I, I get sweaty. Like I need to be able to see it even when I used to go into the, you know, my kids' schools. Cause I, I'm a huge, I would read to my kids cause it was important. We would listen to a lot of books and tape because I'm a curious person. I love to learn, even though learning is hard. I do love to learn. So I need to learn how I interpret things. And I've learned through the years of how I do that. But, um, she would call on me first because she knew that I struggled and I usually needed to be like, okay, I could read the paragraph and then I would be like, okay, this is the one, if, you know, I would count how many, okay, this is where I am. And I would practice, practice, practice. And she would call on me first. So she called on me first and I said pubic instead of public. And up until like two months ago, I still thought they were spelled the same. <laughs> so my friend said, you keep saying that, but they're not spelled the same. So that is one thing with dyslexia. I cannot spell, like I literally cannot spell anything. I probably spell like worse than a kindergartner. Um, it's something I deal with every day. It's something that I have to cope with. It is very frustrating. Um, and I can take you through like, I'm a chief communications officer now for a company called Fet Tech. And there's a lot of science words. And um, But you, you cope. Those are the things that you do. So anyways, public and pubic are not the same, uh, spelled the same way. But I said pubic instead of public. And the class kind of giggled and she thought I was being a class clown. I, I was not. Um, but later in life, that is what I kind of in school uh, reverted to. I made jokes about things because I was get you know, failing tests and I'd be like, Oh, okay, who cares? You know, make, kind of put that defense mechanism up. But she basically said, what are you retarded in front of the entire class to me? Now think about a freshman. Think about what the things that you're going through, you know, your body, your mind, you're in high school. It's new. Um, I was mortified. I mean, mortified. I can still remember. And there's times where I tell the story where I actually cry, not emotional today, but there have been times where I've told the story and I totally cried because I remember so deeply that feeling and the feeling of shame and just terrible. But as I said, I was a confident kind of spunky kid and I didn't like to be made 
made feel stupid. And I got up and I said, what are you a bitch? And I grabbed my bag and I ran out um, hysterical crying um, because I also was not someone that disrespected adults. I was not taught to like, you don't talk back to adults. So I was like, oh my gosh, I ran to the vice principal's office who I knew because my mom um, had known him, had worked with him. And I was like, I couldn't even breathe. I was crying so hard. And, um, he's like, what, you know, what is going on? What is going on? And I said, I called Mrs. And I'm not going to say her name, a bitch. And he's like, Oh my God, why would you do that? And I was like, she called me retarded. And he's like, Oh my God, why would she do that? You know, my mom had to get called. The teacher had to be brought in. The teacher, you know, wanted me to be in trouble, um, you know, for cursing at her. And, um, one of the things that I'll never forget is I did not get in trouble. You know, I had to apologize, obviously, but she had to apologize to me too. I think I was moved out of her class. My mom was a huge advocate, as I said, and my older sister struggled. So if there was a teacher that wasn't a match for us, my mom made sure the rest of the Williamses did not get that teacher. I mean, that was one of the things that was, it was awesome. And like if my older sister got some, no, and, and it was a terrible match, none of us got that teacher. Um, but I do remember her saying to me, you know, uh, I don't like that you curse. My mom still to this day doesn't use curse words and I'm a bit of a potty mouth. Um, she said, but I am really proud that you stood up for yourself. No one should ever speak to you that way. And that's how I was raised to stand up for myself, but be respectful. And so I think that gives me uh, a lot in life. Both of my parents, you know, saw our strengths. They saw who we were, even though we struggled in certain aspects, but it was okay because we had these strengths and the strengths were always talked about. The strengths were always like, this is what you're good at. You might not be good at this, but that's okay because this is what you're good at. And so that was really important. Um, but that was a really, I mean, I st that still like makes me want to, you know, want to cry. I mean, and test taking tests and all these different things. And it's just, an, uh, it's tough. And I had another English teacher. So one of the things that, again, I was really good at communicating. So we would have to read a book. Um, I would always do cliff notes, love cliff. That was the most brilliant thing. And then I would ask my friends and I would get into conversations. And because of my, the way my brain works. And because I am smart and I'm creative, I could kind of come to conclusion what the book would be about. And I would get into these great conversations. And I had this one English teacher that loved that I did it. And this was before we had to write, a, it was like we first read the book. So it was a couple months into class and she would always call on me and always like, I mean, build me up. And I just remember, I love this feeling. I, I want this feeling. I don't want to do the test and the paper. I don't like that feeling. I want this feeling. So I would really work to like impress her. And she would always, you know, like, I want to hear what Juliet has to say about this. I love her pithiness, pithiness. And it was, it was such a great feeling. And then I had to write our first paper. And I remember working so hard because I wanted to impress her. And I turned the paper in and, you know, a couple of days later, she turns every, you know, hands everyone's paper back and said, Juliet, I need to see you after class. Again, I shrunk because um, I knew it was coming. And she said, I'm really disappointed in you. You didn't put effort into this? Like, were you out with your friends being social? Were you on the sports field and you didn't have time? And it was, again, everything that everyone always said to me. And I just said to her, no, I actually put a lot of work into it. It just was really hard for me. And one of the things is it's really hard. I can speak all day. Like I could, I could speak all day and I can, I mean, really have knowledge and have really in-depth, really, um, really smart. I don't like that word, but really, you know, conversations that can grab people. But if I had to put it on a piece of paper, that's where the disconnect is. And that is where dyslexia comes in. That's where it's really hard for me to then take what's in my mind and put it on paper. And so 
school, imagine, imagine that. Like I can have a conversation with any science, this and this. And then it's like, okay, put it on paper. And it's like, oh, I can't even because I can't spell. I can't get the words out that I want to say to write because my brain and hand weren't connected that way. So, you know, again, going through high school, these are all like little kicks in the pants. Again, you know, lots of friends excelling on the, the um, you know, sports field winning states, I got a letter my 10th grade year from Harvard. They wanted to recruit me for field hockey. (laughs) I was failing classes. And I remember saying to my mom, oh my God, this is amazing. But oh my God, I I could never get into Harvard. And me talking to the coach and, you know, letter, like I am not a really great student. She's like, oh, just work harder. You know, we really want you. We really want you. And me knowing I was not going to be able to do that. And think about, you know, as a kid, 16, 17 years old, knowing that you're not going to be able to do something because school is just not come, like it's not connecting and you don't really completely know why it's not connecting. Is it that I'm not smart? Is it I'm not being taught? Now I know the teachers didn't know how to teach me because I can be taught. I learned that in college. But then my junior year, my senior year, I was getting highly recruited for University of Maryland for lacrosse, which was a top D1 um, program at the time, still is actually. And I had to take SATs. Now that's the other thing is test anxiety when you have dyslexia and ADHD. I can't tell you how many tests I fail. I can't tell you how many times I knew the material, but I could not get it in the test. Maybe they changed one word and I I like I didn't comprehend how the question was asked, but I knew the material. That's so frustrating. And I can't even tell you how frustrating. If you've been there, you get it. If you're not, you don't understand, but it is really, really frustrating. So I took the SATs, I want to say 35 times. I know it wasn't that much, but I was diagnosed. Um, I did get like a uh, some LD on my transcript. So I was able to get untimed stuff. At this time, I wasn't, you know, I, I had a little bit of services, but I was get, able to get a little bit more services. And I couldn't get an extra 10 points. I was missing one question away from going Division One, getting money, having a huge scholarship. All my friends knew where they were going. And it was, I, I'll never forget my senior year. Every time my best friend and her boyfriend, I would bring the paper over and they were like, okay, let's open it. Let's open it. And it would be like, no, it didn't happen again. No, it didn't happen again. Now, through these three years, also guidance counselor, I had a guidance counselor tell me, you're not going to college. Stop thinking you're going to college. You don't have enough grades. Like it doesn't matter about your sports. If you don't have the grades, you're not going. She would constantly tell me that. And I would constantly be like, stop. But I would also be like, I'm going to go because I want to tell her to go fuck herself. (laughs) I mean, I can't tell you how many times. And my mom would say, oh, honey, like, but I would say, mom, I'm going because Mrs. S is saying I'm not. I don't care. I'm going to figure it a way out. She's not like, this is terrible. But again, that's the kind of kid. If you think about a kid that doesn't have some sort of self-confidence, they would just shrink and shrink and shrink and shrink. And that's where drug and alcohol and problems come in. And this is why teachers and parents and adults need to think about how they're speaking to their children and other children. Because if you see someone struggling, um, you see someone being a class count, you see someone being a bully, no one really wants to be those things. So there's something happening underneath and it needs to be explored and it needs to be asked. There needs to be questions and we need to be better as a society to help kids when they're younger. So these things don't happen. I was, again, fortunate. I had a great support support system. 
And I knew my worth, even though there was times where I, you know, was ashamed of my learning disabilities. I was ashamed of being in the classroom. I was embarrassed because I knew I was going to fail. And um, I still was like, okay, I'm going to do this. I'm going to do this. And that was my grit. That was like, I don't care if I fail. I'm going to do it because I failed so many times. And that actually served me well in life um, as my career grew and as, you know, where I am today. So um, I did not go to University of Maryland. They wanted to then, they were like, can you go to the community college? We'll get your grades up. And then you can be, we'll redshirt you and bring you into the program. And my mom was just like, I I really want you to go to a four-year school. I, I think if you go to a two-year, you're not going to finish. She was really worried about it. My dad never finished. And um, college, now college is not for everyone. And nowadays, we talk about that more, right? College is not for everyone. But when I was young, it was like, if you didn't go to college, you didn't get those same jobs as other people. So college was an important thing in my family. And, um, and you know, and, and not, I don't want to say it was expected, but it was, um, it was wanted. It was like something that was encouraged. So I ended up, I think, I mean, it feels like it was like two weeks before I graduated, but it was, it was very close to when I graduated. Now, now again, everyone I knew knew where they were going. I was one of the only ones that wanted to go to college and couldn't get in because I couldn't get my SATs up and I had shit grades. But I knew I had so much to offer. And I also had so much to offer on the athletic field that it was like a shame that this was all happening. And so it was it was a really tough time. But again, I would brush it off and be like, okay, something's going to happen. I'm going to figure this out. And um, so and then I did end up going to Rowan University. I didn't want to stay in New Jersey. Uh, it was a Division three school, but I was able to play both sports. And that is where I learned that I was actually smart. I went in as a corporate fitness major because that's what I was good at. But then very quickly had to take anatomy and physiology and was like, no way. Tried to drop out probably 50 times. And my mom was like, no, you can do this. I encourage you, encourage you. And I changed to communications. And then I, this world opened up where I actually became a really good student. And I was, um, you know, I, I got some more diagnosis. So I had some more um, support through school. Um, I was only allowed to take four te- like four classes. Um, and I went to school for five years, but I finished and I was on the honor roll a number of times. Um, I wrote a movie, did a screenplay. I was a DJ. I actually stopped playing sports. The thing that gave me the most confidence, um, I realized I was done with and I could have another identity. And I think that's really important to have two identities. It's so important in life because once that one identity is is gone because you've outgrown it, you need to have something else to continue to be confident. And so I became this this scholar, which was so crazy to me. Um, graduated, got a job even before I graduated. I had a job like two months before I went to New York City. I knew I wanted to to live in New York City. Went there, took the train, got the you know, and I could interview because again, I had those communication skills that I learned throughout my whole career and um and academic career uh so I could interview for jobs that I had no business getting because I had no experience but I could interview for them because I knew what to say how to say how to connect to people um and I really do uh you know kind of attribute that to 
my struggling and my dyslexia and my ADHD. Um, I always say I had the good ADHD because I was really intuitive. My, my, my whole family has a good ADHD. I mean, cause really back then it was like the spazzy kid that was the close talker that couldn't control themselves. So it was like, Oh my God, I have, have this. Like it's, I'm a girl. Like what, what is that? You know? Um, and so there was a lot of shame behind that. But the more I learned about it and the more I learned about myself, I was like, yes, this is powerful. I love this. I'm going to harness this and I'm going to love it. I'm going to use, I'm not, the person that's in the box. I'm the person that's outside the box and I have so many ideas and I can help so many companies. And so that is where I went into advertising. Um, absolutely loved it. Decided after I met my husband that, you know, I stayed home with the, with the kids, but I reinvented myself a number of times. I started doing fitness things when the kids were older because I was like, okay, I want to contribute. I just don't want to sit at home anymore. I don't want to do the, the, um, school kind of board stuff, um, class mom anymore. My kids were a little bit older and that journey then took me into starting my podcast. It started, uh, it started me doing, um, consulting, uh, people helping them be able to tell their stories, connecting those dots, thinking about the experiences and really helping small businesses take their story and go out on the media circuit, whether it's podcasts, whether it's writing articles, whatever it is, but really finding those things that are important that connect with audiences. And that was amazing. And one of my first clients, um, then hired me as their chief communications officer. So that is what I'm doing now. I still have my three podcasts. I have my, my, um, YNS live with NFL thread where Cynthia Zordich is my co-host. And we talk to the spouses and, and players as they pivot out. Like, what does it look like? What does it look like when you're, you know, constantly moving? We do, uh, live events at the Super Bowl, the Hall of Fame and at the draft. If you have a brand or anything and you're like, Hey, how do I get involved in that? Cause we do some really cool things. Just reach out to me and I can, uh, we have a whole deck and all of that stuff. But that also is then I started word blindness because of my curiosity. I met Brent and I said, Hey, you're doing stuff with your foundation, the Brent Sopel foundation. Um, I would love to give back by doing stories on podcasting. I'm really good at it. And I know we can get some, you know, have great conversations and really help people. So that's how we did that. And so I still hold those. I do a little consulting, but not as much because I do have a full-time job now. And, um, but I have my podcast, Your Next Stop, YNS Live with NFL Thread and Word Blindness Dyslexia Exposed. So don't give yourself the scenarios. Like if you struggle, if you're sitting here listening to this and be like, wait, maybe I'm dyslexic or maybe my kid is or whatever. Find out, find out, you know, and some people say, oh, you don't need the labels, but sometimes it is comforting to know, okay, this is why things happened like this. Um, and it's important if your child is struggling, find out, get that neuropsych. They're expensive, but there's ways to, there's people that out there to help, um, kind of get that done. But the school is, is going to do a regular school test. They're not going to give you the, the tools and the things that you need. So it's really important to go outside. Um, that is, you know, something that, Dyslexia Awareness Month. I want people to hear this and be inspired, but I also want people to know that you can rise above your shortcomings. I don't like that word, but like your weaknesses, your strengths, all of these different things. If you can look at yourself as a whole person, you're going to thrive. And that's what I want for you guys. I want you to sit there and think, what am I good at? What do I like? Especially if you're someone that's listening to this or you have a kid that's ready to go to college or they're in, you know, junior, senior year. Right now it's being thrown down their throats. They need to know what they're going to major in college and what they're doing. No, no one should know what they want to do at 17 and 18. And I shouldn't say no one. There's people out there that do, but most of us don't. We have to explore. We have to stay curious. We have to go out there and put ourselves out there, network, talk to people ask questions. I can't say it enough. Be curious and you will find your path. 
And um, again, thank you for listening to your next stop. Check out my other podcast. And this is Dyslexic Awareness Month. So please rate, review, and share this podcast. I hope you liked this episode of Your Next Stop. Please subscribe to my channel, share with your friends, and join in each week. 